Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. No notes. I don't, I don't have any notes for this. I came less than prepared, which I thought was kind of the expectation here. Less than You're prepared. Great. And yes, that's perfect. We want the book of Anthony. <laughs> yes. The book. Okay. Well, I, can, I can give you that. These are the tales of college basketball past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off court moments, memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. And I'm Pat. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the college basketball stories. All right. Hello. Welcome in. I'm Anthony Broom, and I'm going to tell you the story of the 2012-2013 Michigan Wolverines. And before before we go down this rabbit hole of, of what that season was and, and what that season ultimately wound up meaning to where we currently are in the, the history of Michigan basketball, you kind of have to understand where we were going into it. And this was a program that, again, it's been this this ground has been pretty well plowed at this point in terms of the, the scandals that came out of the Fab Five uh, era of Michigan basketball, the struggles that they had with Tommy Amaker. And then you go out and you hire this guy named John Beeline, who had done some good things, uh, one at every level of basketball. He was a guy who made his name at Lemoyne. He goes to Canisius, however you pronounce that, I don't know, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Um, he goes to Richmond and then he winds up at West Virginia. Anyone who's familiar with college basketball fame knows of some of the runs that West Virginia made, uh, on the, the back of Kevin Pitsnoggle, who is one of the best names in college basketball. Uh, so John Beeline comes to Michigan and it's, it's a total rebuild. It is, I'll say probably it's tough to say the darkest time in program history. I'm, I'm not that old, so I can't go back too far. But, you know, this is a team that had won a national title in 1989. They had those years of success in the early 90s with the Fab Five. And then the program just gets kind of shut down, cut off at the knees because of the scandal involving Chris Weber and the Fab Five and the impermissible benefits and all that, those types of things. So, you have to understand before we tell the story of this team, just where, just how deep a hole this program was in. So John Beeline comes to Michigan. He goes 10 and 22 his first year on the job. It is, again, you go through and you look at the roster of that team. I don't even know if I can find the roster of that team. Uh, just to, to speak to you how, how little talent there was on it. They did have a guy on the roster at the time, uh, Ekpe Udo, who wound up transferring to I believe it was Baylor. I just said it, so it's canon now. But he winds up saying, you know, he winds up being drafted number six overall uh, by the Golden State Warriors and didn't make much of an impact uh, in the NBA. But again, was still kind of a guy nonetheless. But other than that, like John Beeline's work was cut out for him. This is a guy who, at every level of basketball, as we talked about before, he won, you know, over 163 games when he was the coach at Lemoyne. He won. 89 games and he was at uh, Canisius. He he won 100 games at Richmond. He won 104 games at West Virginia. This is a guy who had success everywhere that he's been. So he comes in that second season, goes 21 and 14 on a roster, again, just a roster he kind of just schemed around and built together the best he could. You had guys like Zach Novak and Stu Douglas who would wind up kind of being the foundational pieces of this, this team moving forward, this program moving forward. Um, Manny Harris was a guy out of Detroit that had a lot of hype. Anthony Wright was the guy that kind of got some time off the bench, but was someone who, uh, 
again, shout out to Anthony. He's a good good friend of ours on Twitter now. Good dude. Does a lot of good stuff in breaking down the game and, and being an active part of the fan base and things like that. Deshaun Sims was there. But other than that, you know, I have a lot of guys. It was uh, a work in progress. And you you go 21-14, and 14, you make the NCAA tournament, you win your first-round game, and then I believe that was the year that the, you get you get trucked by – uh, you get trucked by Blake Griffin in Oklahoma, which there's no shame in that. You're Michigan basketball. It's fine. You come back from that in the third year, you go 15 and 17. So, it was, again, two steps forward, one step back. That's kind of how that early era of John Beeline went. The next year, you come out and you go 21 and 14. And what you see from that team, talk about those guys like uh, Zach Novak and Stu Douglas. Those are the two captains of the team. But you come out and you absolutely beat the brakes off of Tennessee in the first round. And then in the, the round of 32, you come out and play Duke. You lose pretty much in the, you know, again, you had a good look at the buzzer. You lose 73-71. And that's really one of those games where you go, God, if we're that close to beating the Dukes of the world, what else is coming next? And that is where kind of this story begins to a certain extent. Because that next season... You bring a guy onto the roster in Trey Burke, who was a true freshman out of Columbus, Ohio, of all places. Everyone knows that Columbus, Ohio is the home of Ohio State. It's kind of been the boogeyman for Michigan Michigan football for the last several years, but also you know, the Ohio State basketball program was in a pretty good spot then as well. So you're able to go get, get a guy and bring in a guy in Trey Burke, who at one point I believe was committed to Penn State, but, but John Beeline was able to get him – onto the Michigan roster, and it was pretty apparent from the start. And, and even in talking to guys like uh, Stu Douglas in the aftermath of that, it was pretty apparent that, that was Trey Burke was a guy who raised the bar for what that program could be. Uh, he, he was, you know, a star right out of the gate. But, uh, you know, this is a team that, again, you go those, – those first four years of John Beeline, you go 10 and 22, you go 21 and 14, you go 15 and 17, you go 21 and 14 again. And then this last year, that first year of Trey Burke, and you've got a roster at this point that has um, – you have Tim Hardaway Jr. on there, who, again, is a guy who winds up factoring into the story later on. Jordan Morgan's on the team. Again, another guy who ends up factoring into this roster later on. And you go out there and you win a share of the Big Ten which you're Michigan, you're Michigan. So this is a, this is a football school, right? For Michigan basketball to go out and win a share of the big 10, given what that program had been through and kind of how, you know, they were never given the death penalty, but this is a program that was in kind of a dark place. So to go in there and do that, come out of the regular season as you know, someone who's won a share of the Big Ten title, that's a big deal for them. And then things kind of, I won't say go sideways, but you lose your last two games of the year. You lose to Ohio State. Again, we talk about Columbus, them being a rival, Trey Burke coming from Columbus. You lose to Ohio State, get blown out in the Big Ten tournament. And then you come out and get upset by Ohio in the first round of the NCAA tournament in that 2011-2012 season. And that's where... You know, there was some doubt that started to creep in. But to end that season that on a double Ohio State, Ohio dose of disappointment was a tough pill to swallow, especially as you, you go into the tournament as a four seed, you get popped by a 13. That's not a good look no matter what team, what program you are. So that, in a nutshell, was was where Michigan fans were at and where this program was at prior to that 2012-2013 season. You want to touch on the recruiting class? That's a Spike question, by the way. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Want you to specifically talk about Spike, but yeah, I'll talk about the recruiting class. So, coming off of that season again, that was finally where you started to feel like John Beeline was maybe building something here. And Michigan's a school that if you win there enough, you're it's going to kind of recruit itself. We see that with football, but. Basketball is a little more of an uphill battle, and John Beeline was never an elite recruiter, a recruiter by any stretch of the imagination, um, even up until you know he left a few years ago. But you bring in a class that winds up ranking ninth on Scout, seventh on Rivals, fourteenth on ESPN. You bring in 
a guy who's a lot of people consider to be a five-star guy in Glenn Robinson the third, someone who's was kind of on the borderline or four or five stars in Mitch McGarry, Nick Stauskas, a uh, uh, guy out of Ontario, another four-star guy, Karis Levert, who is arguably maybe the most unheralded guy of that of that class and winds up being a late bloomer and you know arguably arguably maybe Michigan's best pro of the last you know the last handful of years, and then Spike Albrecht who. Wasn't rated on scout, was a three-star on rivals, a guy out of Indiana who we all know Indiana, classic basketball state, Hoosiers and all that all that stuff. But Each uh, of your descriptions, I thought you were describing Spike each time. It's like four-star <laughs> recruit, Spike, right? No. Nope, okay, borderline nope. five-star. Here's Spike. Nope, no, Spike still is, not Spike? Okay, still nope. not Spike. Spike is the guy who came in with the least amount of accolades in that class. So uh, a guy out of Crown Point, Indiana – Again, uh, someone who you recruit a guy like that, you're just hoping, hey, maybe he can be a serviceable point guard at some point. Maybe he can be a, a, a high-end backup, someone that comes in to spell Trey Burke. Because at this point, so there were questions about Trey Burke. Is he going to enter the NBA or not as a freshman? And it was kind of a big deal for them to get him back. But I think a lot of people still felt he was kind of a two-year guy. So it was one of those things where any any type of guard that they bring in, you're just hoping to get a guy that is, uh, you know, can come in and give you a few good minutes. And we'll talk about later on how Spike Albrecht is able to come in and give you a few good, not just a few good minutes, but maybe some of the defining minutes of his career. But, you know, that was a recruiting class where we already talked about how you had guys like Jordan Morgan, Trey Burke, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. on the roster. You bring in this group of five guys who, you know, what do you bring a freshman in? I, I know what the rankings say, but if you're not a guy who's who's one of those guys that, you know, is a pro at the prom, so to speak, and you're not going straight to the NBA, you go to college basketball, it's kind of a blank slate for you. So no one really knew what to expect from these guys. I think Glenn Robinson probably had the highest, uh, the highest ceiling of any of them. But again, no one knew what to expect, what they were getting out of any of these players. But it just added to a roster that, Despite losing to Ohio in that last NCAA tournament, you felt like you added this infusion of youth and talent to the roster that made you a little bit deeper and a little more dangerous if some of those guys like a Burke, like a Hardaway could take that next step. So that's kind of what it was like um, adding that recruiting class into the mix of what John Beeline was already building. At what point in the season did they take that step? I think it was pretty early on when they took that step. You saw a team that, again, you just go through the the, the schedule or, or what they were able to accomplish in that season. This is a team that roared out to a, I believe it was 16-0 start. We're doing this live. It's all good. No worries. Um, again, never never really struggles in any of these games early on. I mean, you, you go to the NIT, the preseason tip-off, and you have a five-point win over Pittsburgh. You beat Kansas State in the final by by 14, you play NC State in the the ACC Big Ten Challenge and win by seven. Uh, you go to Bradley and kind of struggle a little bit, 74-66. But other than that, this was never a team that really struggled in non-conference play. And then even in the early going of conference play, you beat Northwestern 94-66 at Northwestern. You play Iowa at home and beat them by 28 points. You play Nebraska at home, and you beat them by 15. And that's, again, everything had gone about as good as it possibly could. You had a starting lineup where Trey Burke and uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. were arguably one of the best one-two punches in college basketball. Nick Stauskas was giving you some good minutes. Um, Mitch McGarry wasn't a starter, but felt like a guy that was coming into his own. Jordan Morgan was that veteran presence that you know felt like you could get some good minutes out of. Uh, just one of those, you know, every championship contender in college basketball, we love our one and dones, right? We love recruiting rankings. We love these guys that we're going to see in college basketball for a year and they go to the NBA. But anyone who's, again, this is me editorializing here. Anyone who's a championship contender in college basketball is is someone who has that mixture of guys who make an impact early and guys who have been kind of the foundation of what's been going on for the last, you know, two, three two, three years or whatever it was. So up until, you know, you, you roar out of the gate 16 and 0, 
everything was going about honestly as good as it could have. Uh, Trey Burke came back. You felt like he was a guy who he had NBA potential already. He comes back and is someone who looks like one of the best players in college basketball on his own, putting the team on his back. And, you know, you really felt like, you know, throughout all of this, Michigan starts the year ranked fifth. They climb up to fourth. They climb up to third. And all the way up until the first loss, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here, they get to number two in the country. They're staring. You're staring number one in the face um, at 16-0, and 0, number, number two in the country. And then the next part of the story happens. You, you lost to this guy. <laughs> Aaron Kraft. Aaron Kraft. Version. My God. That's him now? Yeah, he's in medical school now, I guess. He's going to be saving lives. He's a doctor. Yeah. Nah, he, just, he just wears white jackets. We'll talk about a guy soon enough who played college basketball for what seems like my entire, uh, you know, the entirety of my early to mid 20s. But Aaron, guy. <laughs> him too. He's in the Hall of Fame of guys like that. But that was a, Aaron Kraft is a guy who felt like he was in college for 12 years, you know, just kept yeah. getting just kept getting the time there. That Ohio State game was, again, I if I remember it correctly, and again, everything I say here is canon because it's me talking about it. So. <laughs> Just go with it. That was a rough one. Uh, Michigan was down by 12 at the half, and and Duke Duke had lost. Maybe it was a Sunday game. Now I'm, now I'm uncertain of myself. I did that to myself. But uh, Duke lost to North Carolina, I think it was a day or two before. It felt like, a, felt like a Sunday game. <laughs> It probably was a Sunday game. This is a past life. I wasn't totally locked in. Maybe I was doing other things. Who's to say? I was watching this game, though. And I remember the opportunity that Michigan had after Duke lost, where you're looking at Michigan could be the number one team in college basketball for the first time since 1992, November 1992. That's, again, me, November birthday, 1992. Putting that in perspective, that's how long it had been. So... Again, it doesn't happen like that. And and I remember, you know, I remember this was, again, we've talked about before the Big Ten is famous for those rock fight type of games where you're going to come in and maybe the first team to 50 is the team that winds up winning. And Michigan wasn't prepared to play that type of game on that day. They shot 18 for 47 from the floor, less than less than 39% from, from shooting, 6 for 20 from three. Again, just a just kind of a rough day altogether. And when you're, it's hard to play 16 games in a row that were that good and not lose. So they were due. Like let's call it what it was. It wasn't. Um, it, it was disappointing because that number one ranking was right there. But you look at what they came back with after that. They host or they go to uh, who at the time was ranked ninth in the country, Minnesota. You go there and get an eight-point win. You host Purdue, and you get a a 15-point win. You go play at Illinois. You win by 14. And after that Illinois game, you do raise to that number number one team in the country. So you finally get there. That's that's the mountaintop. It's not the pinnacle of the mountain, but it's a place you hadn't been in at that point. Um, Well, 21, 21 years, so... Well, I mean, anytime that amount of time goes by where the last time you were ranked number one in the country, uh, if someone was born on that day, that person could have a beer now. I mean, that, that adds a that adds a layer of perspective to kind of how that special person. that is. So did you have did you have any beers that day? I don't remember. Um I don't know if you know who's to say if I was partaking in a little bit of underage drinking or not, but uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't quite 21 yet. Um, I would have been 21 in November of that year. So on the eve of the the following season, but um, no, it, it felt good. And it felt like I, I, I talked to you guys about this before we press record here in that as a kid, I used to be a guy who, would kind of fake sick to miss school to watch some of those lesser, like just a, a lesser Michigan team, one of those 15 and 17 teams or whatever it was, play at noon in, on Thursday in the Big Ten tournament and lose because, you know, to a certain extent, 
and I, I don't know if I'm breaking news here, a little bit more of a college basketball guy than I am a college football guy. So <laughs> to know that, to know that all of that happened before and a few short years later, you're, you're sitting there at number one in the country. That is, again, I know it's, it's a, it can be a fleeting feeling because number one, it can last, it can be gone in you know, the span of a few uh, of one game. You lose one game to the right opponent or the wrong opponent. You might not be back there for a while. And, and number one, being number one, isn't indicative of what your chances of winning a national title are, but it is a milestone that it's special and it speaks to the progress that you've made as a program. So for me personally, like that, yeah, that's as someone who grew up a, you know, I grew up in a in a state where Michigan basket or Michigan State basketball was kind of king, and they've been to all these Final Fours. For Michigan to do that, who's kind of a throwaway basketball school, if we're being honest, up until this point, yeah, that's that's special, and, and that meant a lot. Until Spike arrived. <laughs> until Spike arrived, and then that became that became the expectation. You know, Spike Albrecht's on your roster, you're going to win a lot of basketball games. So that's right. Um, so, uh, so again, growing up in a state where Michigan State was kind of a program that you always, maybe they stumbled out of the gate a little bit, but that was a program that always played its, its best basketball in February heading into March. And for Michigan to get out to this, again, we're talking as of January 30th, they get out to a 20-1 and start, which you're thinking, you're thinking special stuff at this point. You're thinking... Yeah, we're one of the three or four best teams in college basketball. You know, all you know, any of the praise you can imagine is there. And from there, you go into a stretch in early February where you go play. You have three top ten games in the span of, I think, ten to twelve days. Here, you lose at Indiana, which was one of those ESPN College Game Day games. Which I'm, you know, I'm sure I don't have the schedule. I just have the games in front of me. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I, I, I'd have to imagine one versus three on the road uh, at Assembly Hall, Indiana. That's one of those 9 p.m. Saturday night college game day type of games. So to lose a game like that, like that's something you look forward to the whole week. So that that hurts and that sucks. And you come back and you, you, you respond okay to that. You beat number 10 Ohio State by two in overtime at home. And then you go to what is arguably – when there are fans there, two of the biggest houses of horrors in the entire Big Ten. You go to the Kohl Center in Madison. You know, those guys love to get you in one of those rock fight, bar fight type of things. And you lose 65-62 in overtime. You lose at Michigan State, which anytime that happens in any sport, that sucks because it's that's your neighbor. You know, your neighbor's a Michigan State fan. They get to talk all the shit in the world they want to talk. Football, basketball, it doesn't matter. And what are your thoughts on the Izone? The Izone? <laughs> Let me say this. And you might be looking for something saucy here. The first time the first time I'd ever been to Breslin Center was before last season's game. So it would have been this would have been 2020. This is in a pre-pandemic world. It's hard to imagine that even exists. But honestly, the craziest most um the most energy I've probably ever felt at any college sports event outside of being, you know, on the sideline for a few minutes at a time in Columbus for Michigan, Ohio state. I mean, you go into that place, it's the lion's den and Michigan didn't respond very well in that game. They lose by 23. It was, a. it was, again, you get to these stretches in the season where you're, you know, yeah, we're 20 and one, but you know what? We have some things we have to prove still. And three top ten teams in in the span of two weeks, and, and you go one and three, and one of those losses was against a team that wasn't ranked at a t- at the time. That's a rough look, and it uh, it does it does affect your confidence as a fan a little bit, and and even as you go back down the stretch of that season, uh, again, you go to Penn State, which is a team that again just does not. We'll call it what it is. I mean, Penn State, you see them on your basketball schedule. There's no fear at all 
in that game. Whether you go there, they're coming here, or you're playing them on, <laughs> on a neutral court, you're not afraid of Penn State basketball. Let's just call it what it we is. We are. About yeah, we, yeah, we, are, we are an automatic win most of the time. Not this time, though. Michigan goes to Penn State and loses a game 84-78. to 78. And I think this is a game where a lot of fans started to feel like there was – there was a chance that maybe this 20-1 start, this 16-0 start, may have been an aberration. And uh, how do you come back from that? I just remember it got – this. these are, you know, 2013. These are very – this is a very early uh, era of the whole Twitter side of things. This is the beginning of my time on Twitter. That was the first time I can honestly remember a toxic, toxic environment – on Michigan Twitter, which has kind of become, you know, if anyone follows Michigan football at all, it's kind of become a trademark of of what Michigan Twitter is, is this toxic, negative, horrified, anxious environment. But that was that night, again, may have been a Tuesday night, may have been a Wednesday night. I don't know. I mean, at the time, I was the blogger who was still writing about these games out of my parents' basement. So I lose track of, you know, what time looks like there, but uh, <laughs> that was, that was rough, man. I mean, that was really rough to lose at Penn state and, and Penn state's had some good teams in recent years, but then on February 27th, 2013 to lose at Penn state, that's, that's not a great look. And that was the second time you'd play them in the last three games. And they had kind of given you a run for your money a couple days, you know, a couple games before that. They only, Michigan only beat them by eight in, in a game that was 10 days before that particular game took place. But, um, yeah, just a rough, rough look. <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't even know who's coaching that Penn State That's game. Ask, that Penn State team. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. Some, uh, some historian I am. But, uh, yeah, maybe it was Pat Chambers. That seems right. Um, yeah, that was to put some perspective into that. Michigan struggled twice that year against a team that went 10 and 21. So for a fan base that typically waits for the other shooter drop, that was not, uh, that was no bueno, so to speak. But then you come out and in these last three regular season games, you get a rematch against, against Michigan state and you get them into one of those big 10 bar fights. And this is one of, you know, this Michigan state game, they, they win 58, Michigan wins 58, 57 at home. This is one where, again, another one of those games where it, it was pretty foundational in terms of what it meant for where Michigan basketball is at now. I mean, you can't you can't be a team as talented as that Michigan team was and lose not only just lose again to that team, but uh, you know to to come out and play them tough and get a win at home. That's it's massive. So again, all the credit in the world to them. After that, you go to Purdue. We talk about these Lions dens in the Big Ten. You go to Purdue and get a five-point win, and you're set up to play for a share of the Big Ten title on that last weekend of the year. Um, At home against Indiana, again, it was a number seven versus number two game. So the, the stage was there. I think this was a Sunday game. Who knows? Again, whatever I say is canon, so who gives a shit? Uh, Michigan comes out with a chance to have a share of the Big Ten title and loses that game by one point. And this game was notable because, and this all ties in, because Tom Crean at the time was the basketball coach at Indiana, who anyone who's familiar with Tom Crean and and the history of Michigan, Tom Crean is the brother-in-law of the head football coach now, Jim Harbaugh. So this all, it's all... It all comes. I thought you were going to say the brother-in-law of Franklin the turtle. Well, that too. I mean, he's he's very turtle-looking. But um, <laughs> uh, Michigan comes out. They lose that game, and not only do they lose that game, there's kind of a in one of the first. Again, this is in the very early stages of Twitter and and social media truly exploding onto the scene. Michigan comes out, loses that game. And Tom Crean, after the game, you know, the teams, after the game happens, they shake hands, they do all that stuff. Jeff Meyer, who is an assistant under John Beeline, was also a former assistant at Indiana. 
the the coach that he served under, I think it was Calvin Sampson, there were some problems there. And Indiana was kind of, you know, in the tank as a basketball program. And in this, there's a confrontation late at the end of this basketball game. He storms in. Tom Crean storms into a conversation between Meyer and, and I, I think it was another Indiana assistant. And he points at him. He goes, you wrecked the program. You helped wreck the program. You know what you did. And he's yelling all of these things at him. And Hold on, Anthony, one more time. I, I just, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling it from you. I, I want to, oh I want to feel like, like <laughs> this like, is happening. Be, Thank be like you. John uh, Chaney. The, be like John the, Chaney. When he, when the he white claw courage. Okay. White claw courage. Yeah. Tom Crean walks up to, to Jeff Meyer after the game. He was speaking to an Indiana assistant and he yells at the top of his lungs. You know what you did. You wrecked the program, and he's he's gesturing to him. And there may have been expletives there. I'm not sure, but it was it was one of it was a moment. One of the first things I remember going viral from that season was Tom Crean yelling like a madman, which would you know obviously become a trademark of what his brother-in-law would wind up doing with the football program. That's another conversation, <laughs> another podcast for another day. So, Michigan is the. <laughs> Michigan ends the regular season um, on the outside looking in uh, for a Big Ten title, and and that was that was painful. You know, you had you had won a share of it the year before, and you felt like things were trending in the right direction. And even coming out of that Penn State game, you come out and you win a rivalry game, you go win at Purdue. Those those are two games that you feel really good about what happened. So um, you, you head into the Big Ten tournament, you beat Penn State. Again, a team you would struggle with, but you beat them by double digits. You put that that boogeyman's dead. You killed it. It's in the rearview mirror. And then the next day, you play against Wisconsin. Wisconsin pops you again. You lose sixty eight fifty nine, and that puts you in a spot where, after starting twenty and one, twenty and one, mind you, you went six and six down the stretch, which is not that's not an ideal place to be heading into the NCAA tournament. Mm-mm. That's not, not ideal well. unless your name is Jeff Fisher and you're coaching in the NFL. <laughs> exactly. Then that is ideal. Exactly. Everything's in balance. So is it turning time? We're in the NCAA tournament. Anything from like Selection Sunday? Um, To be a four seed after all of that is that was kind of surprising because I don't, you know, even after you lost to, you know, Wisconsin in the big 10 tournament, you're still ranked. I believe the number six team in the country. And I think you ultimately slide to number 10, uh, which rankings don't matter once you get in the NCAA tournament, but to be a four seed suggests that you're either you're somewhere from the 13th ranked team in the eyes of the committee to the 16th ranked team or however that works out. Math is not my strong suit at this point, but um you know, to, it felt like they were a little underrated coming into the tournament. But you get South Dakota State, you're not all that worried about that. And and to be honest with you, you're looking for a history of, of this team. I remember maybe some struggles early on, but you still beat that team by double digits, which to me, a double-digit win in the NCAA tournament, that's that's nothing to write off. So you do that. And, and what I remember from there is their mascot, <laughs> their mascot, whatever that was. Um, can anyone? What is the mascot you know it? for them? Nobody uh, tell. Are they the Are they the Jackrabbits? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I got it. If they Pretty weren't, they mascots. are now. <laughs> it's canon now. That's the theme of the night. Right. So, uh, South Dakota State, and this was notable. Yes. Because... Sorry, <laughs> no, they they were the Jackrabbits. That's a confirmation of them as the Jackrabbits. Was that, was that like a 30-second lag? Yeah. <laughs> I know my mask. Best favorite mascot in basketball. Is Tom Crane in here storming into the podcast? Yeah, you uh, You name the mascots. That's Tom Crane. He's there somewhere. Yes. But uh, You broke the program. Yeah, that for, that first weekend of, you know, despite being a team that was, I felt a little underrated going in there, despite that 6-6 six and six finish of the season, you go, you play those first two games of the, of the tournament at the Palace of Auburn Hills, which is it's a home game. maybe, it's a home game for them, essentially. So 
again, you're, you you get that win over South Dakota State. You work off some of that rust. You hadn't played in six days. And that time of year, you know, things are moving quickly. That is a little bit of rust. So I remember that people weren't as worried as much about the South Dakota State game as they were about VCU, which VCU, again, I know they were a mid-major at the time, and you, know, you, you stack well, up careful. as a more – we're talking about the A-10 here. Yeah, I know. A-10, it's kind of a gray area there. So VCU is a team where you you know that your talent's better than them. But at the time, you know, Shaka Smart comes out. He has this this havoc full-court press, which, you know, turns turned everyone at the time into a corn cob, where you just don't know – you don't you don't know what you're supposed to do. Um you're just you're just all out of sorts mentally and, and don't know how to move the basketball. And and Michigan comes out and I'll tell you, I remember this game pretty vividly because at the time, this is before I'm working full time in this field, I am watching this game on a tablet in a class in community college because you go from having a seven fifteen game on Thursday night to having the first game of the day on Saturday. So, you know, at the time, you have classes, you have other things to tend to. You can't. Uh, it's not always. Uh, it's not always all about watching the game and, and tweeting reactions and just writing about it. You got other thing, things you have to do too. So, I was watching this game on a tablet during class, and what I remember about it is just. And you can even to this day, if Shaka smart, if a Shaka smart team instills fear in you. You put on the tape of this game, Michigan puts on a textbook performance in terms of how to beat that press, how to break it, how to defend what they do. At the end of the day, it was a 78-53 win. So we talk about we don't apologize for wins at all in the NCAA tournament. We definitely aren't apologizing for double-digit wins in the NCAA tournament. And we're especially not apologizing for 25-point wins in the NCAA tournament. That gets you into the second round of, of place or into the second weekend of place. So. Again, as far as that first weekend goes, about as good a, a good a showing as it could get. It's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> he's the words of affirmation guy. I dig yeah, it. Yeah. He's the he's the Bill Raftery. <laughs> to our bird. <laughs> just instead of onions, he just yells yes randomly. <laughs> yes. yes. I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's awesome. So uh so after the uh gauntlet of South Dakota State and VCU, then it gets a little bit more blue bloody. It gets very blue bloody. And if people remember that NCAA tournament, I don't think there were a lot of uh, – there weren't a ton of upsets early on. So if Michigan was going to be a team that made a run, they were kind of going to have to earn their way there. And they did. You come out and you play Kansas, a team who I believe they were a three seed. I don't know. Who cares? Again, whatever I say is canon. So it's whatever. <laughs> Sounds right. But uh, Kansas comes out and – I just that was that was a rough going early on. That was a team that had Jeff Withy and Ben McLemore, who was maybe probably the best player from that team, and uh, Perry Ellis, who's a guy who it seemed like he played there for forty five years. That was his first year. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he might suit up for them tomorrow. Who the, who the hell knows? Uh, whatever this airs, it could be tomorrow. It could be four years from now. Perry Ellis is probably still <laughs> still be starting, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, anytime uh, you know, Michigan was down, I think it was 11 with four minutes to go, something like that. But even more notable than that, they're down with they're down by five with five minutes to go, or, or I'm sorry, with like 30 seconds to go, 15 seconds to go. It may have been even less than that. Which for me, one of those three times, one of those three, choose your own adventure. Whatever is more dramatic to you. I mean, that's what we're here for for entertainment purposes. But. Uh, you know, any for me, you get into the final 15 to 20 seconds of the game, you're going to give yourself a chance if you're down by like three or four. I don't know why five seems so much more insurmountable than that, but it does for some reason. Um, and what follows that is a play that will 
be something that you'll see on every single you're going to see this on every single highlight reel for the rest of of the history of the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, Michigan Michigan fights all the way back. Trey Burke, I seem to remember him not having his best game as a Wolverine, but having some of his best moments late when they needed him to. Um, again, down 76-71 with, with less than 15 seconds, seconds to play. And you get a free throw that clanks off the rim. Tim Hardaway throws it over to Trey Burke. And this guy, you know, this is going to be your guy that's to make a shot. And he takes it from literally the parking lot. And he makes it. And it ties the game. 76 all. 4.2 seconds left to play. When you were just down five, less than te- 10 seconds ago. And right. we're watching something... this right now. So this is live narration. Yeah, I'm doing play by, which I've dabbled in play by play, but this is, you know. Not quite that. This is your real shot at it now. <laughs> I've I've been waiting for years for this. You guys are, are uh, you know, it's kind of a, a make a wish deal going on here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this this game, um, a lot of people don't remember the overtime period just because that shot was so iconic. But Trey Burke makes another shot in that overtime from again. This is at Jerry World. He makes it from you know wherever the Texas Rangers are playing currently. I think they were across the street. Who knows? Um, but Trey Burke at the, t- I mean, this guy and Mitch, you know, Mitch McGarry, again, we, we haven't even hit on him yet. A guy who w- was pretty much a bit player throughout the season comes out and just, he has maybe one of the best six day, six game stretches that, you know, forget a freshman, maybe any Michigan basketball player short of Glenn Rice has ever had in, in an NCAA tournament. So, again, um, the fact that Michigan, this is one of the games where there's a lot of college basketball games, and again, the old adage is survive in advance. This was truly one where it felt like Michigan pulled a fast one on everyone. Like, there was no reason for them to win this game, and they do. That game was – that game sticks out to me as maybe my favorite moment in any Michigan sport. You know, a special night, a night that there's not a single Michigan fan will ever, you know, will ever forget that. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun, too. Just just, just fun. This is one that, that lives on in infamy as something that a lot of people uh, look back on and have fond memories of. All right, here's your shot at play-by-play. Narrate Kansas's last possession down to 9.4 seconds it, left. It's kind of... <laughs> it's kind of blurry, so I don't know who the players are here, but I'll just say player one, player two. We'll we'll do what we can do. So dribbling up, dribbling the ball up the left side of the court, get a good shot. Number thirty-five gets a great look at the rim and throws it back out from three, and the guy just kind of bricks it off the <laughs> off the backboard. And, <laughs> I mean, Perry that, Ellis passed to Perry Ellis. <laughs> They're all Perry Ellis. I mean, it's a perpetual. It's a perpetual Perry Ellis. Um, His name is Robert Paulson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he. God, I mean, it, if if he takes that shot at the rim, Lord knows what happens. I mean, maybe you get fouled. You go to the the, the free throw line for two points, or you know, for two free throws. Maybe they play a second overtime. But I'm glad he didn't. It, it sealed a, a pretty good night for all of us. So and I think everyone can kind of, uh, as we talked about before, everyone can kind of uh, get on board with Kansas uh, shitting the bet in a giant moment. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> An annual tradition. <laughs> yeah, we have we have the Masters, and then we have a tradition unlike any other. <laughs> it's outstanding. Um, I just that sec that like that Sunday game. There was you got to think about it, and I'm talking to people that can relate to this here. You beat Kansas, and there's this the especially the way that Michigan did it. There's this weight that's off your shoulders. There's this oh my god, we just beat Kansas. They were one seed. Trey Burke delivers, you know, a top two or three moment in the history of Michigan basketball. Like you want to, um, 
you you soak in that. Whatever happens after that is gravy. And you know, every turn every every tournament team that you know has designs on maybe winning a national title has a moment like that. But I think for a lot of Michigan fans, that Sunday game was it was just gravy. And what they do, Michigan comes out and and they put on a clinic. It was it was seventy nine fifty nine. I honestly I don't remember Michigan ever struggling in that game. They put up almost fifty points in the first half. Nick Stauskas at the time has you know he's six for six from three, um, has one of his best games as a Michigan player in that game. Um, it was just it seemed like just such a just a carefree day. Like you know what we're in the elite eight after all we've been through. How how do we not just have fun? in this Sunday game. So, you know, I don't remember any, any type of drama from that. I don't think I could tell you a single player off of that outside of, uh, God, what's his name? Scotty Billiken or whatever his name was. To, his name now is uh, Scotty Billiken. Scotty Bill, yeah. Scotty Will the, uh, yeah, We have the slew Wilbekins. <laughs> um, I don't remember ever feeling like it was a tight game or that Michigan wasn't going to win that game because after you beat a team like Kansas under those circumstances on that stage, you're just kind of like, okay, why, why not us? Why not Michigan basketball? Uh, six and six down the stretch struggled, uh, you know, in the big 10 tournament, but you know what? We just beat Kansas. So anything that happens from here, you know, you got to remember, this is a team that two years before this, or two or three years before this, you're talking about 15 and 17, followed up by a year where you are basically a shot that clinks out of the rim away from tying Duke and going to overtime, uh, when I believe you were an eight, an eight or nine seed and Duke was a one. So, again, you come out, you just, you just thrash Florida from start to finish, and you set yourself up to go play in the Final Four against... Uh, a team and against another a team that is a a blue blood. It wasn't. It was never going to be an easy path after how those first couple uh, rounds of that NCAA tournament went. But you survive. You advance, and you you go on to play Syracuse in the Final Four. And how many times did Jim Beheim whine in that game? <laughs> well. <laughs> I'll be honest, I, I, there, there are portions of that game, and that was another one of those games where I didn't cover live, but I'd have to set the over-under for Jim Beheim wines at seven and a half. <laughs> I take the over on that over. at least. Over, easily. Um, you know, that, that, uh, that zone is usually a problem. It's, the, Syracuse has historically been another team that can get you into one of those those rock fight type of games where you got to make your shots and you got to make some big plays. And, uh, you know, the, the one that sticks out from that run was the, the block that, uh, or the charge that Jordan Morgan takes at the end of the game. I know that's a point of contention for a lot of, uh, Syracuse basketball fans, but you know what? We're not going to apologize for it. It's a, it's a game where you grinded it out. Michigan wins 61-56. To me, it's probably, if I had to rank where those games in that tournament ranked, you probably put that first weekend in the bottom two. Uh, The Syracuse game is probably number four. And then, you know, the the national title game stings. We'll talk about that. But, you know, again, that Syracuse game is is not – it was one of those take business, take care of business games. It was a business type of effort. You go to Atlanta, you're just trying to, you know, Wichita State's playing Louisville. You feel good about your chances no matter who comes out of that game. But uh, just try to, again, the old adage is survive in advance, and you do what you can. I want you to rank your top three rocks of all time. So you've got rocks. you've got all these rock fights. You've got You've got Michigan ascending to, you know, the the peak, the pinnacle of Mount Everest. We'll call that a rock. We've got the rock, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> we've got we, we've talked about South Dakota. We've got Mount Rushmore. Uh, we've got rock concerts. 
We've got you know. Whew. Give me your give me your top three rocks of all time. Pet rock. <laughs> your it's a real Sophie's choice for a lot of these here. Um, <laughs> rolling rock, if that's your beverage of choice. Nah, I don't I don't partake in the rolling rock, but uh, it's hard to. At Prefer his your peak, rocks stationary. <laughs> for my rocks in one place, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the rock, you know, that's fond memories of him. Uh, he's he's right up there, being a Michigan guy. Slippery rock. That's mm-hmm. here you go. In it's in the top two. Pat got rock. his slippery rock mention. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were waiting for that. It was coming eventually. Uh, slippery rock is up there. Anyone who knows the history of Michigan athletics knows what that means. Um, rock concerts is up there, but uh, you know, Big Ten rock fights. Those are up there too. Probably in the top five somewhere. I didn't come prepared to rank rocks tonight, but uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, a lot, a lot of rocks, a lot of good rocks. Rock, paper, scissors, rock, mm. paper, scissors. You know, I could take or leave that. Um, you know, that's the hottest take we've heard tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but uh, yeah, you know, it's hard to go wrong with the rock, slippery rock, and uh, rock concerts. If I had to rank them, there it is. The definitive rock rankings of all time. It's the topic I've always wanted to cover, but never had the opportunity to do so. So, cheers to you. All right, well, I think that leaves one game left. Yeah, the Slippery Rock game? (laughs) That was the first game. We're going back to the future? No, I don't don't even... I don't remember that game taking place, so... (laughs) Slippery Rock, Spike Albrecht's debut. You put up a Benjamin. Oh, man. The 62. Love to see it. Love to see it. You got to take business. You have to take care of business against Slippery Rock. It's it's not quite as important <laughs> as Michigan State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, but uh, Slippery Rock comes to town. You better you better take care of business. It's an honorable an mention in, for sure. That, that's an inside joke you don't want biting you in the ass. So. All right, so one game left. Yes, we're here. Um, again, <laughs> depending on who you are, uh, depending on how you remember this game, um, it's either one of the best title games that we've ever seen, or um, if you're a Michigan fan, it's, it's kind of a heartbreaking moment because this is a game where you know you come out, you play Louisville, who again. You felt you you were fight. There were some cosmic forces at play here because of they dealt with the Kevin Aware thing, where he's you know, a player on their roster breaks his. It's a compound fracture, not to get too morbid, but he breaks his leg literally through his skin, and it's one of the most horrifying college basketball injuries we've ever seen. And you know their whole Louisville's whole vibe was playing for that guy the rest of the tournament. And but Michigan again, you have that Kansas win. You blow out Florida. You you take care of Syracuse. Like you felt like cosmically, things were stacking up pretty well for you too. Especially given that you had had some heartbreak in that last NCAA tournament where you lose in the first round to Ohio. So you go from first round upset last year to this year you're playing for it all. And um, you know, Trey Burke comes out, scores. God, I feel like it was the first three or four baskets of the game. But then he he gets into foul trouble, and that's the one thing that Michigan couldn't have. And Trey Burke gets into foul trouble, goes on the bench, and you're thinking, man, we're kind of screwed because this is the guy who is the national player of the year. He's been the straw that stirred the drink all all season long. And now we're turning to Spike Albrecht. Who is the Spike Albrecht guy? We talked about him earlier. A three-star guy, someone who's unheralded. He'd come in at times and give them good minutes, but... Again, Trey Burke to Spike Albrecht, like, there's a pretty natural and, and uh, choose my words wisely here, there's a pretty palpable uh, drop-off there. And, and again, he'd been a minor, he'd been a role guy the whole season. And Albrecht comes in, and this is maybe, again, another thing, you talk about cosmic things that are going in your favor. Spike Albrecht comes off the bench, and he hits the first... I think the four straight three-pointers and it scores 17 points in the first half. 
which I don't have the box scores in front of me. I haven't revisited a lot of this season since it's happened. I don't, he didn't even come close to that in any of his games. Maybe he scored five, six, seven points in any even game uh, in the season leading up to that. But, you know, late in the first half, Michigan's, Michigan has a double digit lead and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And then the tide turns. Luke Hancock comes in. Another guy who, out of nowhere, just this basketball hero that emerges from the clouds, drops down onto um, the soil with the rest of us, and he hits four straight three-pointers. And all of a sudden, Michigan goes from leading by double digits to leading by, I think, one point at the half. So, you go, but you go into halftime thinking, we were without Trey Burke. We rode Spike Albrecht into an out-of-body experience. We're right there. Everything's there for them. And you had to to feel pretty good about that. And the second half was back and forth throughout the entire game until, honestly, what, what feels like the biggest turning point of that game was a play that will live in infamy with Michigan fans everywhere. You have the three, or I'm sorry, you have a a sequence where Peyton Siva drives for a layup. Trey Burke, who is not in foul trouble at this point, goes up to defend it, and he he blocks this shot at the rim. I'm telling you, to this day, and, and alcohol has only further cemented this for me. <laughs> One of the cleanest, like, it, it was totally clean. There was no body there. There was no contact on the play. It was as clean a block as you could ask for. Um, you know, one of those big players making big plays in big games type of moments. You you watch, there are pictures from Lord knows who, but it, it's, he's, Trey Burke has all ball. He has all ball. It is, it's it's about as clean as it gets. And, and obviously that's not what it was because that's what the refs end up calling. So it's, it's frustrating that, uh, and there, when this happened, there was about five minutes left in the game. So it's not the play. Like, this isn't something that happens in the final two minutes where you're like, oh, God, this is obviously something that changes the game. But it kind of goes from being a, you know, I think that pushed it to a five-point game at the time. But it, it Louisville pushes it out to double digits and, you know, winds up winning that game by – by six points. And again, I, I'm not someone who, you know, I'm not to get too philosophical here, but again, it wasn't one of those plays that felt like, Oh, this game, this play with five minutes left, that totally changed the game. But if you're someone who believes in, you, know, you can't just say that one block added into the events of the rest of the game changes the game. Like if that block happens, Maybe Michigan gets a lift on the offensive end of the floor. Maybe they go on a 10-0 run. So there's like a there's like a multiverse string theory thing going on here to where uh you know despite uh despite everything that took place, that play was was ultimately the one that felt like it it, it felt like you know, five minutes left in a game is a little bit early to call a game. But that's when maybe we talk about all these cos- cosmic forces at play. That's kind of maybe where it felt like the Cosmos were, weren't against Michigan and uh, ultimately it wasn't meant to be. So Louisville winds up winning, uh, not officially. I believe at this stage of the game, this title has been vacated from them. So technically speaking, Michigan's not the national title winner that year, but they didn't lose the national title that year. So that's a little uh, little feather in our back pocket here. But hey, you know, it is what it is. You got to do what you do to build a team. But, uh, you know, Luke Hancock, a guy who will forever live as a boogeyman in the eyes of Michigan basketball fans. But, you know, Michigan fans don't come out of that season feeling like they were. um, Obviously, it felt like a giant missed opportunity, but, we, you know, it was it, it laid the foundation for everything that's come since then. You know, in the following season, Michigan comes out and makes it to an Elite Eight. And from there, they made a few Sweet 16s. They made another national title game in 2018, which, you know, Michigan, again, we joke about it, but Michigan's traditionally not a basketball school. So 
there are a lot of things in play here to where for as painful big, as big field hockey school, big field hockey school. Trust me, huge field hockey school. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I have AD. no idea, but now they are. Well, <laughs> it's canon now. You know, I'm just go, just going right. with it here. But uh, you know, Michigan athletics, not not the football program, but a lot of their programs since then have been competing for Big Ten titles and. You know, the hockey team has played for national titles and the baseball team played for a national title a few years ago. And, you know, it, it feels like this was not that this was the thing that kicked off all of that, but it felt like in terms of the basketball program, as we sit here in 2021, as we sit here and record this, that was a moment, that was a run that set Michigan up for where they are today. But uh, yeah, that's kind of, that is the history that was the beginning of Michigan basketball history to this point. And the foundation had been laid, had been laid before, but this is that 2012, 2013 season where you had a guy that was an, a national player of the year. The next year it sets the table for a guy like Nick Stauskas to be, you know, the big 10 player of the year and one of the best players in college basketball. And you don't, you're not able to surpass what you did the year before, but, you make a, a national title game and an elite eight in back-to-back years. And that's to me, the way that John Beeline had built that thing, that is kind of a, a model for sustainable and uh, commendable success. So that season, despite its pitfalls at times, despite the disappointment that was the national title game goes down as being a game that, uh, that set the table for what appears to be the next decade of Michigan basketball. So you were talking about back to that uh, foul that's now a block um, mm-hmm. and the string theory of it. Uh, take me through that that sequence of events if that is a block, as it should have been called. Um, Now's your chance to rewrite it. I'll rewrite it now. Like, And, and this, is, this type of setting and this type of podcast is no place for mild takes so i'll I'll just say it (laughs) michigan gets that block they win that game because i think that's that was that was as big as a game altering play um you know if that play goes in their favor that's that change to me that changes everything when that play goes in their favor when that play goes in that favor we're rewriting history remember Again, that's what we're doing. Louis, like it's it's been vacated, so I can tell whatever story I want. Yeah. Michigan, I think that that block goes Michigan's way. Yeah, I do think that they win that game because you know what? And I have no, I have zero qualms saying this. I think they had the better basketball team, and despite uh, Rick Pitino's uh, coaching prowess, I think I think John Beeline had done a better job coaching that team and bringing that team together. So. That moment goes in their favor because I do, again, I do think that these big moments, you know, play a much bigger factor than than people would care to admit. Um, I have zero issue saying that I think Michigan wins that game. Stats be damned, analytics be damned. I know on that given night, they had the best player in college basketball. Spike Aldridge, <laughs> of course, that's who I'm referencing. Maybe the, okay, if you want to go for the two best players in college basketball, Trey Burke and Spike Albrecht. But uh, John Might be a Beeline, scratch adding Trey Burke in there, but <laughs> again, you know, I'm 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 skirting the line here between hot take and what the reality of the situation. Well, only one is. of those people tweeted at Kate up. <laughs> That's true. That's an analytic <laughs> we haven't considered yet. Uh, Spike Albrecht was the guy who he, he did the sub tweet at Kate Upton. So on that given night, maybe the best ballsiest uh, college basketball player. So again, I just felt like uh, that play goes their way. It's impossible to know how it all plays out, but in my head, because this is the easiest thing to, to do, Michigan wins a national title that year. If uh, the officiating doesn't uh, rob them of it, not blaming the refs, but uh Come on, guys. Look back. It's a clean block. So then, does any... Oh, there it is. Okay. Saw you. <laughs> not, not sure what emoji he used at the end, but... 
Anthony, why don't you fill in that emoji for us? <laughs> I don't know if it's eggplant. I think Spike is a classy dude. So I think it's probably right. either the winky face emoji or like the uh, the winky face tongue out combo emoji. Like there's the uh, one that's like, like a little playful in him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Spike also won a nice six for nine that night as well. Very nice. Very, like, again, just one of the nicest chef's kiss performances in the history of Michigan basketball. So, (laughs) (laughs) there you have it. That is the story. And these are the college basketball stories. Is it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the CBB Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. What are you drinking over there? I'm finishing off a whiskey and I just grabbed a maintenance. Oh, just nice. A maintenance like one. Just in case. Never know. You have to start with the Slippery Rock game. <laughs> the Slippery Rock game. I don't You're know. Big fan if of that I... one, Pat. <laughs> uh, and then please tell us how you got two nights later after all of that fun, you somehow beat these three people in the Elite Eight. <laughs> oh god including billy, billy donovan's son oh gosh 